In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap! The job's a game. And every task you undertake becomes a piece of cake, a lark, a spree. It's very clear to see that a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. It's all right, you can sing louder. In a most delightful way. A robin feathering his nest has very little time to rest while gathering his bits of twine and twig. Though quite intent in his pursuit, he has a merry tune to toot. He knows a song will move the job along. So you guys know that song, apparently. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I saw even some of the men sing along with that one. We all know that song from when we were little kids, Mary Poppins. And what's the point of the song? Medicine tastes bad, right? And so sometimes we need to take a little bit of sugar, find something sweet, find something that's going to help the medicine go down. In this case, the kids didn't want to clean their room. And she says, look, if we can make it a game, it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be a little bit sweet, and the job still gets done. And the same is true when you think back to a kid, man, I look at my kids now, we go to HEB, we pick up their prescriptions, they're like, what flavor do you want? My kids always like bubblegum, right? That's the one we always get is bubblegum flavor, but there's like 40 different flavors. When I was a kid, you had one flavor, disgusting. That was, that was the flavor. And you took your medicine because you knew it was good for you. Well, We thankfully know that a spoonful of sugar, a little bit of sweetness can sometimes take those things that have a little bit of bite, those things that taste like cough syrup and help them go down. And last week we started a brand new series. We're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, from now until about May. And we're going to be seeing some things that Paul has to say to the Corinthian church that are going to taste a little bit like medicine. These are some really hard things that Paul has to say to the Corinthian church. Now, they're hard in the sense that they're not hard to understand, but they sting a little bit. And the reality is, is that they're a little bit challenging. They're a little bit hard to put into practice because everything that Paul has to say to them is going to challenge them in the way that they're living their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever God confronts me with a change that I need to make in my life, it doesn't exactly taste that sweet, does it? kind of rubs you the wrong way. It kind of feels a little bit like medicine, but the reality is that we know that the medicine that God offers, the life that he prescribes for us, we know that it's for our benefit and for our own good. But sometimes there's that little bit of sugar that's missing to help that medicine go down, and so we struggle to implement the things from God's word that he tells us are true. 
And this morning, that's exactly where Paul finds himself with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Last week, he's reminded them of the reality that they are called as saints, that they have been set aside by God as a special and holy people for his purposes, that God has declared them holy. And he's going to kind of continue this theme before he jumps into telling them, all right, now, because of the reality of how God sees you, here's all the changes that you need to make in your life. He's going to give them a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. And he's going to remind them that, that he's thankful for them. And I, I just want to remind us of a little bit of, of the Corinthian church. If you remember, the Corinthian church is not exactly the model church. And I love it when, when people tell me this. They're like, I just wish I could find a church that was like, like the, the church in the first century. I'm like, really? Is that really what you want? Let's, let's read the book of 1 Corinthians. Let's read the book of Galatians and tell me which one of those you want to be like, all right? Usually, uh, what we find is that the church is just as messed up today as it was 2,000 years ago, and there's a reason for that, because we're all sinners, right? Am I the only one? Can I get an amen on that? Like, there's some other sinners out there? All right. So, the pastor's the only sinner in the church, and there's your problem. Uh, no. We're all fallen, broken people. We're saved by the grace of God, but we still live in this tension between we live in a broken, fallen world system and we live in a broken, fallen body. And there's this thing that happens, there's this tension between us and the world, and and it's a matter of are we going to submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ and and submit to him and follow him and let him be in the, in the business of changing our lives as the Holy Spirit works in us or not. But just a reminder of where the First Corinthian church is, is they are sleeping together. In fact, some of this stuff, it's like a soap opera when we read through the book of First Corinthians, some of the stuff we're going to see. They're sleeping together. They're just divorcing at will. They're suing each other in the church. They're getting drunk at communion. They're struggling with their doctrine. They're prideful. They're jealous. They're divided, self-indulgent, and self-absorbed, and self-promoting. So my question is, how could Paul possibly have anything good to say about this church? Well, let's look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. Now think about this. With all of those problems going on in in this church in Corinth, Paul says, I thank God for you. Now I don't know about you, but if I were looking at this church, I don't know that I would be able to say, you know what, guys, you're you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're boasting, you're selfish, you're sleeping around, you're immoral, but I'm thankful for you. Like that's pretty mind-blowing to me that Paul is able to say this, but look at why he says this. He says, I'm thankful for you because you guys are such awesome Christians. Is that what it says? Heresy. That's right. Anytime I say something that the Bible doesn't say, you say heresy. Is that what it says? No. He says, I'm thankful for you because you guys attend church regularly. I'm thankful for you because you give a lot to the church. No. He says, I thank God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. He says, I'm not thankful for anything that you have done. I'm thankful for what God has done in you. It's, it's completely God's work in you that makes me thankful for you. That's how I'm able to say that I'm thankful for you because I know that you are saved by grace. The first thing that Paul says is that he is thankful for saving grace. 
he is thankful for the saving grace that they have experienced because he knows that it's not about their works, it's about the completed work of Jesus Christ having taken place in their lives. And he says, for that, I can be thankful. For that, I can be thankful. And I got to tell you, this, this verse, especially verse 4, we're going to go on, we're going to cover more than one verse this morning, don't worry. But verse 4 really convicted me this week as, as a father and as a pastor. Um, I, I got to be honest, the, the last couple of weeks, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I got some hormone imbalance or if I'm having menopause or whatever it is, but I have been irritable and I've been angry and I've been cranky, and, and I don't know if it's a spiritual attack or if there's something going on, but I, I just have to say that little things have been bothering me a great deal. And so when I come across this passage and I see Paul, who has the heart of a shepherd, and he looks at these stinky, smelly, awful sheep who are biting each other, yet he says, I'm thankful for you guys. And I think about myself as, as a pastor and as a father to four children, as a husband to my wife. And I think about all the little things that just have, like, they get under your skin. You know, you know how it is. Like, I think there's a reason why we're called the family of God. Um, because if anybody can tick you off, it's your family, right? How many of you grew up with brothers and sisters? You know this to be true. Like, the people that you love the most are the ones that just get under your skin the most. And that's why I think we're called a family of God, because sometimes we just annoy each other. And that's the way it is. But we should be thankful for one another. And what I love about this is that Paul is able to look at these stinky, filthy, dirty sheep covered in mud and other stuff, and he looks past their dirty wool. And he says, I love you, and I'm thankful for you, because God is allowing me to see you, not the dirty wool on the outside, but who you are on the inside in Christ Jesus, who, the way that God sees you. And I have to say that, that I'm, uh, my personality is one where I'm a little bit of a Debbie Downer. Like, I can see the problems. I can see the, the areas that need to be fixed very, very easily. Like, if, if I could be a project manager, I would make a lot of money because I could just walk into places and I'm like, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, fix those things, everything will be great. Like, I would, I would love to be able to do that kind of thing because that's just the way my mind works. What's hard for me is celebration. What's hard for me is finding the positives. That really is a struggle for me. And it's something that as an elder board this summer, as we were on elder retreat, some of the elders said, you know, we really need to do a better job of celebrating things as a church. And I said, you guys are absolutely right. And that's my fault. That's on me as a leader because I'm just not wired that way. Like we, we have some major awesome thing that happens in our church and my mind's already on, okay, what do we do next? Like where's the next hill that we need to charge and climb? And God's really convicted me that we need to, we need to stop and we need to celebrate the things that God is doing. And what I see in this passage is that Paul is not, not critical of them, yet he sees them as, as a gifted, blessed by God church. And he says, for that I'm thankful for your saving grace, the reality that you have put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, and we are now brothers and sisters. I'm grateful, and I am thankful for that. He knows they're immature, but he sees them as beautiful. He knows they're charismaniacs, but he sees them as gifted. He knows they're sinful, but he sees them as filled with grace. And he has a genuine love for these people. He feels responsible for them. 
And I just, I love that he celebrates what is good. He celebrates what is good. And I know in my, my own life, when I start to struggle with sin, I get, I get disgusted with myself. Like, I should be further along than this. I went to seminary. I'm a pastor. I know the Bible verses, yet I'm still struggling with this. And it's in those moments that, at times, I need to remind myself of God's amazing grace in my life, of his saving grace, and to be thankful that, Lord, I, I know I'm struggling through this right now. I know that what I'm doing doesn't honor you, and, and I'm working on it, Lord. But I thank you for your saving grace, and I thank you that someday I will be free from this, that I won't have to continue to struggle through this over and over and over again. And so Paul says that he's thankful for them. He's thankful for them. Uh, This is a church who, again, was focused on their gifted leaders. They took pride in gifted leaders. They took pride in their individual gifts. They took pride in their intellectual background as, as part of the Greek culture, and they took pride in their standing in the Roman culture, yet Paul says nothing about any of those things. He says, you want to take pride in something? You want to be thankful for something? Be thankful for God's saving grace in your life. Paul says, with all your problems, with everything that's so messed up in your church, I can at least be thankful for that. I want to encourage us, as, as Christians, there are going to be times when we frustrate each other, even as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know this to be true. You, I don't doubt that you love your spouse, but you know how frustrating you can get sometimes. And all the women said, that's right. And all the men said, nothing. <laughs> all the men said heresy. That's right. <laughs> we know what it's like to be frustrated with people that we love and we care about, and it does not take away from the reality that we love them. One of the things that I love about my marriage. My wife and I, uh, we've been through some tough things. God's put us through some hard things, but you know that the D word, divorce has never been an option for us. We took that off the table before we even got married. We said, we're not even going to joke about it. We're not even going to laugh about it. It's off the table. And we've, we've committed to this, that there is one thing that we will always have in common no matter what our disagreement is, no matter what our argument is, we will come back to the reality that we are both followers of Jesus Christ. And we will love each other through every situation. And I see the pain that happens so often in churches. I see people that get hurt by other Christians. And we just have to remind ourselves that we've got to come back to the one thing that we have in common. Faith in Jesus Christ. And to look at our brother or sister in Christ who may be frustrating the heck out of us, and sometimes it's that brother or sister that's in the mirror that's frustrating the heck out of us. And we just say, you know what? I am thankful for Jesus Christ's saving grace in your life, and I'm going to love you for that. And I'm going to set this other stuff aside. Let's see what else Paul has to say. He goes on in verse 5. He says that by him, Jesus Christ, you were enriched in everything, in all speech and in all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here, it's easy to see grace and to be thankful for grace in people's life when things are going the way I want, right? When everybody does the things that I want and they 
we're perfect little Christians and we do things well and everybody follows and everybody does what they're supposed to be doing, that's easy to say, man, I love that. When your kids are cleaning their room, when you come downstairs, this happened a couple weeks ago. My wife came downstairs and the kids were like, oh, we were trying to get the downstairs clean before you woke up. Like, it's easy to love your kids then. When they're fighting and throwing stuff at each other and punching each other and yelling at each other because someone looked at you the wrong way or because he's breathing my air, like, it's really hard to love them at that point. But you still do. And Paul's in a situation where he's really frustrated. What about the times when people are doing things that I don't like? Those are the times that it's, it's really, really frustrating. It's really, really hard to see God's grace and to be thankful for people in this. Yet Paul, here at this point, he's able to look at them and he says, God has enriched you in every way and I am thankful for you. And here's what I think Paul is doing. I think Paul is seeing some of the things, some of the problems that they're having, and he's looking past that and he's saying, you know what, maybe some of their problems that they have are actually signs of God's gifts in their life. Like, maybe their aggressiveness is actually a sign that they have the gift of leadership and they just haven't learned to use it yet. Maybe, maybe the fact that, that they, are, they have this inappropriate joking, but it's still hilarious, let's be honest sometimes, but maybe their inappropriate joking is a sign that they, they're gifted in creativity. Maybe we need to help them learn how to use their creativity in a way that honors God. What if they're... Their know-it-all arguing is actually a sign of the gift of teaching. What if their criticism is actually a sign of discernment? In other words, can we be thankful for the things that God has given people even in those moments where they're not exactly using them in the right way? Because as we're going to get into later in the book, that's exactly where the Corinthians are. And Paul tells them, he says, you have been enriched in every way. And he thanks God for, for two specific gifts that they have in speech and knowledge. Now, if you know anything about the Greek culture, what I said last week is the Corinthians took more pride in being able to tell a lie well than to be able to tell the truth. Like if you could tell a lie well, then that was valued more than telling the truth. Today, we call that politics, right? If you could tell the lie well, that's all that matters. And then he says, in, and in speech and in all knowledge, and they were taking pride in what they assumed was knowledge, not actual knowledge. And I found this quote. It comes from a, a commentary that was written in the 1800s, and so I, I changed it a little bit to be more fitting for our context, but this is not my original thought. He says, he says this, Many have the flower of speech, yet lack the root of knowledge, so their conversation is unfruitful. Many have the treasure of knowledge, yet employ it, never employ it through speech for the good of others, and so their knowledge is hoarded. God gives both, and it's only when speech and knowledge are applied with love and grace that they actually become useful. How many of us can say a hearty amen to that? We know people who have knowledge. They have knowledge, and either they hold it back or they present it to you in such a way that you don't feel encouraged, you feel like you just got the beat down of your life. How many of us know people who have speech? And this is what I love to remind people. Free speech does not guarantee intelligent speech. That's not guaranteed anywhere. And we know people who speak freely, yet they speak unintelligently because they lack 
knowledge or because their words are their own opinions and not the word of God. And so what Paul is saying here is, look, you guys have knowledge and you have speech and you're gifted at both, but you've got to combine them with the love of God. He's going to hit that really hard in 1 Corinthians 13. If I have all wisdom and all knowledge, yet have not love, I am nothing. If I speak in the tongues of angels and of men, yet have not love, I am a resounding gong. And Paul is saying, guys, you, you are so gifted. God has enriched you. This is the next thing that I want us to see is that we should be thankful for enriching grace. We should be thankful for enriching grace because salvation is much more than just a moment in time. And this is something that I think as Christians we often forget, that our salvation is much more than just the moment that I, I transferred my trust from, G, from myself, my own good works, my own church attendance, my own... Uh, money that I'm giving to the poor, the good things that I do, and I take my trust and I transfer it from myself. And I say, I'm going to transfer my trust from myself to being on Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. And in that moment, we know that we receive the gift of salvation and we are belonging to Jesus Christ for all eternity. And we are his, that our sin is washed away and that God is now in relationship with us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the moment of salvation, but Paul is looking at something else. He's saying, not only am I thankful that you you have saving grace in Jesus Christ, I'm thankful that you have enriching grace, that God has given you grace day after day, moment after moment, to live your life in a way that is enriched, that you would have life and have it to the full, as Jesus says in John 10. And Paul says, hey, these gifts, these spiritual gifts that I'm going to spend three chapters talking about, that's the enriching grace in God's life, and you guys just need to, need to learn how to use them well. I see them already, and I'm thankful that God has given you that enriching, enriching grace. How many of you guys know the word plutocrat? Two. Excellent. I'm going to uh, SAT prep. Any high schoolers in here? Here we go. SAT prep. Plutocrat. It means someone whose, whose power is derived from their wealth. And the word that's used here in the original language is actually the word where we get our word plutocrat, someone whose power, it comes from their wealth. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that your power to live this life, to enjoy this life, to have a relationship with Jesus doesn't come from yourself because it says you have been enriched. It's a passive voice. It means you didn't enrich yourself. It means someone else enriched you. What is Paul saying? He's saying God has enriched you to live this life, to utilize these gifts, to understand your salvation is not a a past moment in time. Yes, that's where it began, but it is a moment-by-moment dependence on the Lord, letting him work in and through you that now your life is enriched. And he says you've been enriched in everything, all things. Three times Paul uses that word all in the original language. He says you've been enriched in all things, in all speech, and in all knowledge so that you're lacking in nothing, lacking no spiritual gift. Paul's desire is that they would learn to use their spiritual gifts to enrich their lives, that they would cling to their salvation in a moment-by-moment process, reminding themselves that God has enriched me He has made me rich through his son, Jesus Christ, and I don't have to go through life feeling empty because I've been enriched in all 
things. The reality is that they were relying on themselves. And I wonder how many of us as Christians, we know that we've put our trust in Christ and Christ alone, and we know that eternity is sealed for us, yet we walk through life poor. No, I'm not talking materially poor. I mean, we walk through life spiritually poor because we have not embraced the riches of Jesus Christ. When we talk about the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ, we're not just talking about life change for eternity. We're talking about the here and now. See, God's plan was never that you would trust Christ and then just look forward to someday. God's plan was that you would trust Christ and that you would begin to experience a portion, a little bit of what it's going to be like in the someday, but that you could experience that here and now, that you would be enriched. What we have to realize is is that it's not about our knowledge. It's not about our wisdom, our strength, our determination, or our discipline that that we experience this enrichment. The enrichment begins and ends with Jesus Christ. And when we trust in him and when we walk with him moment by moment, day by day, submitting our lives to him, Paul tells us that we will lack nothing. The word lack that he uses there means to be deficient. It means that something's missing or that someone has fallen behind. And I don't know about you, but there are plenty of moments in my life that I can point to when I say, you know what, I feel deficient. I feel deficient as a father. I feel deficient as a, as a husband. I feel deficient as a pastor. And I question whether or not I'm good enough, smart enough, doggone it, do people like me? And I question these things because I feel deficient. But then I'm reminded of God's grace in my life and how he has enriched me in everything, in all things. And he says, you're not deficient. You're not falling behind. You've just put your trust in the wrong thing in this moment. Trust in me. Keep trusting in me. And you'll experience that enrichment. Let's look on at the last thing that Paul says to them, verses 7 through 9, second half of verse 7. He says, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is the last thing I want us to see is that Paul has spoken of saving grace, that moment in time that they put their trust in Christ and Christ alone. He's spoken of the enriching grace, the reality that that God's grace continues in our life in a day-by-day, moment-by-moment way, empowering us to live in his presence and live in relationship with him, preparing us for the day when we get to stand before him blameless, which is God's sustaining grace. God's sustaining grace. We see that God has promised to sustain us, to preserve, to allow us to persevere until the end. That we are sealed in Christ, in Christ alone for all eternity. And I love, he uses a couple words here. The first is that God will strengthen you. When he says that God will strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless, that word strengthen means to confirm, to establish, to secure. A moment ago, I referenced John 10, when Jesus says, I am the great shepherd. 
My sheep know me, they hear my voice, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. They are my father's sheep, and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now, I know there's a lot of different backgrounds that that teach different things in terms of our security when it comes to salvation. But I can tell you, if you have put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, you are his forever. When Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hand, that means even you can't snatch yourself out of his hand. You can't even remove yourself out of his hand. If you are truly his, you are his for all eternity. Think about it this way. Is salvation by grace? According to scripture, what do we know? Is salvation by grace? Yes. Grace means unmerited favor. It means we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it, right? It was paid for by someone else and received through faith. So we have done absolutely nothing of ourselves to earn that salvation. So let me put it this way. If there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation, how could there be something we could do to unearn our salvation? You tracking on that? We are his. Jesus, uh, Paul tells us, he says that he will strengthen you, confirm you, establish you, secure you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, again, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to a jacked up, not just sinful people, but a sin-filled people. Their lives are full of sin. If ever there was going to be a case that someone could lose their salvation, it probably would have been these people. Yet Paul says, God will sustain you to the end because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me make something absolutely clear. I want to, I want to make this absolutely clear that this is not a license to sin. This is not Paul telling them, hey, you're blameless. You're going to stand before God blameless. That word blameless means guiltless. It means faultless. It means you can't even be accused of having done anything wrong. Paul is not saying, hey, because of that, just keep doing whatever you want because you're blameless anyways. No, Paul says, because of that, you are going to be challenged to live in a different way. Because of that, you're going to be challenged to live in a different way different way. See, I think for some people, the reason they struggle with security of salvation is because they think that if, if we just have grace and it's all on God's grace, then why, do I, why would I possibly want to continue to not sin? Because let's be honest, sometimes sin feels good. I like it. I like the way it feels. So why would I deprive myself of something that feels good if God's just going to forgive me anyways? Yet Paul is telling them that, listen, this knowledge that you will stand before God, that you are, you are guaranteed, you are secured, that you will be strengthened, this knowledge that those in Christ will stand before God is, is not meant to cause you to shrug off your sin like it's no big deal, but it's a great, it should be a great motivator for you to walk with Jesus in obedience. It should be the very thing that motivates you to say, this is what is true of me, This is how God sees me. I've got to live up to that. I've got to strive to depend on his Holy Spirit to let me live up to that. Uh, One commentator says it this way. This is not, this guarantee is certainly not an excuse for sin. Rather, it is the basis for a growing relationship of love, trust, and obedience to Jesus Christ. If you have any questions about that, I would 
encourage you to go read Romans chapter 6. Paul says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. May it never be. How can we who died to sin continue in sin? This is our motivation. Paul says, let God's sustaining grace in your life, the reality that you will stand before him blameless, be the thing that's going to motivate you to say, you know what? I see these changes in my life and I need to make them because of what God has done, what he desires to do, and what he will do someday. That's my motivation. Not because if I don't do these things, God's going to love me any less. And then he goes on, and here's the reality. These last verses, it talks about what? That God is faithful. So who is faithful? So it's not our faithfulness that we have to depend on. It's God's faithfulness. God is faithful in that you were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And here's the reality. When I do something that harms my wife, we get in an argument, or I I don't help the way that I should help, she still loves me. I think. Yeah. Yes. We have a yes. Okay. She still loves me, but there is a fracture in our fellowship. There's a rift between us. There's something that has to be made right. There's tension between us because I've messed up. There was that one time she messed up, but usually it's me. And what God, what Paul is saying here is, listen, you were called into fellowship with Jesus. There's nothing you can do to remove yourself from salvation, but when you aren't walking with the Lord, there's going to be this tension in your relationship. There's going to be a lacking in the closeness that you feel with the Lord. And I know this is true because I've experienced it in my own life. And I know some of you have experienced it too. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're struggling with sin, don't don't beat yourself up. You're not alone. But that's not an excuse to just continue on the way things have been. Let the reality of your salvation in Jesus Christ, the reality that God wants to enrich your life, and the reality that someday you will stand before him blameless, and we will have perfect fellowship with him, let that reality be the motivator for you to say, you know what? I don't want to get to heaven and have Jesus be like, uh, Now, I know we've met once before, but remind me your name again. I want to get to heaven and have Jesus and I have like a secret handshake that nobody else has because we're that close. And when I die, I want him to be like, hey, we were just talking. Uh, Let's let's continue our conversation face to face. It's like those moments when you're you're talking to your wife on the phone, you pull in the garage and you're like, hey, I'm in the house. So you hang up the phone and then you meet face to face. That's what I want it to be like when I go to heaven. I want to be like, hey, I just walked in the house. Let's hang up the phone and talk face to face. And that's what Paul says. He's challenging them. He says, look, I know everything that is about to come is going to hit you like a ton of bricks because you guys are jacked up, and we're going to talk about these things. So I want to give you this spoonful of sugar to help this medicine go down. And here's my challenge to you. As we make our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, as you pull out that River Rock Bible Church reading plan this year, it's available on our website. As you read through Scripture, there are going to be things in your life that you are going to encounter that God's Word is going to say to you, and God is going to tell you, you've got to fix this. You've got to change this. You've got to do something different. 
This is the medicine that I am giving you for your life so that you can experience what it's like to be healed, that you could experience enriching. And your tendency is going to be to say, oh, no, that tastes like cough syrup. That tastes like cough syrup. I don't want it. In those moments, be thankful, be reminded of God's saving grace, his enriching grace, and his sustaining grace, and let that be the spoonful of sugar that helps you say, I know this is hard to swallow, but in the end, I know it's good for me. I know it's good for me. So yes, Lord, as hard as these changes are to make, I will, I will submit to you and I will follow you. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for your saving grace through your son, Jesus Christ, that you have given us, Lord, that we did nothing to earn it, but that you have blessed us by grace through faith. Lord, we thank you that you didn't just have us experience your son, Jesus, in a moment in time and then leave us to wonder until we get to heaven. But Lord, you and you have blessed our lives with enriching grace that every day we can experience fellowship with you that we can experience what it's like to be used by you, to be empowered by you as we submit ourselves to the leading of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for the sustaining grace that preserves us, protects us. Lord, that we know that, that when we are in you, we are yours forever. And Lord, we ask that that would be the motivation that we need to submit our lives to you, to follow after you, that we could experience a glimpse of the fellowship that, that we'll have in heaven, that we could experience that here on earth as we fellowship with your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, the beautiful thing is that Paul is going to transition from talking about fellowship with Jesus Christ to talking about fellowship with other believers next week. And what's beautiful is that he's going to point out that it's really difficult to have fellowship with Jesus when you're having conflict with other believers, and we're going to look at that next week. So I want to encourage you guys to come back next week as we talk more and more about that and we continue to make our way through, through 1 Corinthians. As we prepare for our offering, I want to...